You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to the SBNY podcast on Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, and on Spotify. Today's episode, we have some great, great NBA talk coming your way. I had a blast recording this episode with my guys, the NBA Outsiders themselves, John Lucas Duffy and Frank Villani. Join the program today to talk all things NBA. We hit on a number of topics, including uh, the Celtics and their hot start. And we do a a trend on today's episode where we kind of compare and contrast some similar situations or um, some things that go from last year to this year to see how it's changed and how it is going to kind of play out moving forward. So we talk about the Celtics and the Nets. Talk about the Bucks and losing Malcolm Brogdon with a very interesting quote from Giannis on that regard. Talk about the Sixers and the Clippers, about the Heat and their hot start. Also, uh, the MVP discussion and how from year to year the narratives change and those narratives become very, very important. And you may not think it starts this early, but I'll tell you, if you're not in the MVP discussion now, it's not easy to find yourself in it when Game 60 rolls around. But that's what the program's about today. A lot of NBA talk, some really, really good stuff. I had a blast recording today's episode with Duffy and Frank. Uh, But if you like what you've been hearing, please don't feel bashful. Go to Apple Podcast app, hit that subscribe button. Take some some time out of your day, only like 30 seconds or something, maybe a minute, if you're going to really think it out. But hit five stars and drop a little review in there. Tell us what you like about the podcast. Tell us what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. Or drop in some takes if you want to drop in some hot NBA takes, some football takes. All that stuff is welcome. Also, my personal Twitter is at Pete Kennedy, the uh, podcast Twitter at SportBlogNYC. We love nothing more than to hear from you guys. But without further ado, there's no reason to to waste time here. Let's go quick on the intro. Let's get right to the meat of this podcast. Talk some hoops. The NBA is live. It's happening. It is exciting. And there's a ton of stuff to talk about. So myself, Pete Kennedy, John Lucas Duffy, and Frank Villani, an NBA Outsiders episode of the Sports Blog New York podcast right here, right now. Thank you for listening. Now just sit back, relax, stay tuned. Enjoy the show. Here we go, Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. Joining me, my co-host, the NBA Outsiders. First, JLD, John Lucas Duffy. What's up, dog? Petey, what up, what up? You know what it is. We got a nice uh, NBA episode. We're back on a Monday morning, a.k.a. Sunday night for us as we record, but releasing on a Monday morning. We had to get back on that grind, and I'm happy to be chatting with you guys. Uh, also, Frank Villani. What's up, brother? How we doing, guys? I'm ready to talk basketball. That's what it is. We had a great football Sunday as well. There's some weird games, you know, like the Texans and Ravens was the big game of the day everybody was looking forward to. Turned out to be a completely one-sided battle where the Ravens really wiped the floor with the Texans. Uh, That was just flabbergasting to me. But there were some good games involved, too. You know, the Eagles play the Patriots well. Uh, Some 1 o'clock rowdiness as normal as you get down to that four o'clock hour things start getting a little crazy uh but it, it was the a good hour. a good yeah, the witching hour according to scott hansen which i love uh but it was good football sunday but tonight we're here to talk hoops as we do the nba outsiders and there's plenty of stuff to talk about and i think i just need to start with a quick quick aside a personal aside that frank will probably appreciate greatly and duffy probably won't um but i was at the knicks game when christoph porzingis entered Madison square garden 
And I just need to say that that was perhaps the most electric sports atmosphere that I've ever witnessed in person. Um, and not that I've been to a load of pro sports games more than like the average job. I go to a couple a year for each team of mine, but Giants, Mets, Knicks, maybe one or two Mets in playoff action or late season action. I don't think I've ever been to a Giant or Jet game where it got quite that crazy, where there was that much animosity towards the opponent, plus pulling for your own team and rooting for your own guys. There was a great combination of saying, KP sucks, let's go Frank, let's go Mitch, Dennis Smith. It was just an insane atmosphere. I was so thrilled and, and felt happy and lucky that I got to see that game. And if I don't see another game the rest of the year, I'll be happy. I hope you guys caught that one on TV, and I hope the energy translated on TV because I was floored. I walked out of that place with a friggin' huge smile on my face and had a blast. So I need to share that because though the next season isn't going great, that was a moment where we can put everything aside, Knicks fans came together, and had the time of our lives, and I was thrilled to be there. You definitely, yeah, I'm glad you had a great time. But to answer your sort of question, uh, you definitely can tell from watching on TV. Uh, I was watching on my laptop with my headphones on, and, like, you could just see it in the introductions when they introduced him. Like, it got so loud, and he just smirked. And, like, you could tell, like, either way, whether it was going to push him or he was going to get affected by it, like, it was there. It was in his mind, so... Uh, yeah, that was fun. I think the only thing I can, I've never really been to anything crazy rowdy. I say the two most rowdy things I went to was a Giants Eagles game in December, but it was like too cold for anybody to really get too into it. And then I went to a Knicks heat game. Probably it might be the last time the Knicks made the playoffs. Um, and they were three and over versus the heat. If you remember that season, I think it was 2013. Uh, I think Raymond Felton had a game in Miami against them. He dropped like 35 or something like that and hit a game winner. And like two weeks later, they came to play the Knicks in the Garden. Every time either Amari Stoudemire or LeBron dunk, like the crowd exploded. And it was like you just felt that you wanted to, you wanted to be there again, you know? Yeah. You didn't want the game to end in a way. That's kind of how I felt, even though it got really down to the wire when the Knicks almost – you know, they just held on, really. They won by, just, I think it was end to be in two or three points. Frank hit some big free throws, made some big defensive plays. Dennis Smith Jr. made some big plays. Same for Mitch. It was Mark, oh, Marcus Morris. How could I forget him? He hit the three of the game to really put uh, to put it on for the Knicks. Duff, you have any similar experience you want to share there? Uh, probably the most recent exciting game I went to. I went to every Sixers home playoff game last season. Humble brag. Except for, yeah, humble brag. Except for one against the Raptors I missed. Um, I think it was their last home game, actually. And probably the most exciting game was against the Nets when Boban was just crushing it. And he hit, like, four foul line jumpers in a, in a quarter. And it was just, like, incredible. It was, it was electric in there. Because it was – everyone was just thirsting for someone to give something at the center position while Embiid was on the bench. And he just crushed it that game. And it was a lot of fun. I'd pay a lot of money to see Boban hit four for mid-range jumpies. I also saw Boban on Thursday night, so we have something in common there. He's on the Mavericks. He hasn't been getting a ton of time, but... Uh, Bobby's just a big game player. Yeah, <laughs> you save him for the big moments. That's it. Uh, the one thing, though, I will say about Porzingis before we move on to a, the bread and butter of this conversation here, because we're not going to be talking about the Knicks uh, newsflash there. 
they're not exactly at the top of the NBA's food chain of, of topics to talk about right now. Uh, but I wanted to mention this. Porzingis handled it well, I thought. You know, he um, he had a smirk on his face. He kind of did play to the crowd. He had a one really big dunk where he uh, came slashing through the paint, as we've seen him do before when he was our savior back in the day. And he at threw the down. End of the a, third quarter. Yeah, exactly. Mavs yeah. made that push. And oh. what Doncic hit like three threes, and then he had the. KP had that put-back dunk. Exactly. Doncic was outrageous on that run. People in my section, we were just like, holy crap. Like, this guy is the truth, and there's nothing we can do about it. But I thought KP played to it enough to where, like, you know, I, I left that game not hating him more. Yeah, I'm Not that I hate him. I'm not one of those guys, but I know Knicks fans obviously hate him. If you listen to the game, you can get that sense. But at that point, I was like, you know, KP, like, good for you. You're competing. You're playing hard. You're trying to have fun with this. You're doing the best you can here. And he gets it. You know, he didn't He didn't pow. He didn't get pissed off. He didn't flip off the crowd. He smirked. He tried to put on a good performance and fight the crowd. Uh, I respect it. I respected it. And it was an incredible game. And like I said, Luka Doncic is the truth. And you can't say nothing about it. In that game, he had 33 Doncic. Had 33 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, 3 steals, and a block. He, was, he, was, he is 85% of LeBron James. He's insane. Said it once, I'll say it again. All right. Well, um, we will talk more about... Mavs and Doncic in that conversation uh, as we go on. But just a quick rundown today. Some of the things we want to talk about. Since we're uh, an eighth, Duff, is that the math we're doing here? About an eighth of the way through the season? Is that fair? Yeah, everyone's pretty much 10 to 12 games through at this point. Perfect. So we're about an eighth of the way through, which is fantastic. The season's going by at a nice pace right now. There's a lot of action, a lot of good teams, a lot of good things to talk about. So the way we want to set this up, there's a couple teams in each conference here who do really compare nicely to each other, where you can look at them uh, from last year to this year with the offseason moves and the acquisitions, and you can really compare them. And we want to say kind of how teams have risen their stock, and some people have really fallen off a little bit, and what it means moving forward, who's going to flip it around. And that's going to be the crux of our conversation here. We'll hit some quick MVP topics later. Some uh, We're going to touch on Mellow later too, so if you're curious about our takes on that, stay tuned. But I think there, there's a really good place to start here because there's a little bit of New York in it, and there's also the best team in basketball right now. Maybe not the best team in basketball, the best team in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics. Because of the Kyrie Irving situation, they're an easy team to compare the Celtics and the Nets. The Nets, not so hot. The Celtics, very hot despite their loss to the Kings. On Sunday, they're still pacing the Eastern Conference right now. Duffy, I'll start with you because you're kind of our Celtics guy here. This is kind of what you expected and we all expected here, where we were going to see a Brad Stevens team, and you and I talked about this on the pod last week. But now that we've really seen more of it, we've seen the Nets without Kyrie for a game. Is this just is it too easy for it to be going down this way? Like when you think about the Celtics, you think about the Nets. Is it is it too simple for it to be happening this easy? Do you see some correction, or do you think the Celtics are that that much better of a team than the Nets can be this year before Kevin Durant's healthy? Uh, the Celtics are certainly way better than the Nets right off the bat. That's a, a absolute true statement. It's not so easy as just like pin everything on Kyrie, like Kyrie's not there anymore, and look at the Nets and blah blah blah. Because it was it was. Everyone had a share of the blame last year. Like Kyrie definitely was not helping himself by just being a fucking weirdo. Brad Stevens was probably putting the ball in Hayward's hands too much before he was ready. Um, Tatum was taking too many mid-range. He wasn't shooting enough threes, getting to the foul line enough, finishing at the rim. And Jalen Brown, I think, was just him and Rozier were kind of just generally upset at their lesser roles in last year's compared to two years ago when Hayward and Kyrie went down. So... Everyone was kind of in on that. Now, I think this year, 
after you had Kemba, Tatum, Brown, and Smart on the USA team, even though that team, the USA team didn't perform well, it was good for them for chemistry purposes to all play together. I think that absolutely helped them a lot. And now you look at this team and there's no superstars. No one's above anyone else really. So I think that's kind of the hallmark of a Brad Stevens team. When you think about like Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley, those, you know, with Al Horford or even before that, you know, when they were still finishing first in the East or top two, but not having the playoff success because they didn't have the superstar. But now they're back to that narrative when everyone, they just have better players to do that with, whether it's Hayder, uh, Hayward, Tatum, Brown, and Kemba. Smart's a better player. Um, they're still lacking in the big man department, which is going to hurt them in the playoffs, particularly against the Bucks and the Celtic or uh, Sixers. But for now, the regular season, they look great. And this probably still is a team that has a move they, sh- they should look to make in terms of getting a big man. But I think this, this team, it's legit. They're 10-2, and two, and this is what they're going to be for the entire regular season. It's, it's exciting to see. I think they're going to be pretty good too. Um, I definitely think they're off to like a hot start. And I know we kind of mentioned Ewing theory the last time I was on doing over unders and stuff, but um, I don't know. It's weird. You, you, you expect something to hurt them, but it never really does. Gordon Hayward going down. See, it probably won't because they're super deep in that, that position. But uh, I believe I called Jason Tatum and Jalen Broads at the beginning of the season in that over under pod. Yeah, can you and, can you repeat that actually? Because I had some uh, I had some people come you know ask me about that that phrase. What what do you call them again? I call them frauds. Hey man, sometimes you gotta motivate guys. So <laughs> you know. So Celtics fans, <laughs> Celtics fans can thank Frank for the hot start this season. <laughs> I sent the podcast directly to them both via DM on Twitter. So, yeah, you're welcome. Well, yeah, I think I, it's it really is an interesting conversation. I mean, it makes sense with Brad Stevens and all the things we talked about. Uh, and Duffy, I'm glad you kind of pointed out that last year wasn't really all on Kyrie. It's not it's not completely fair to just say it's all him, though. You can probably argue the reason some of those other guys were uncomfortable in a bad way may have been because of his presence and because of his his weirdness, as you described. When you simply just look at like the breakdown of the team last year uh, from a shot standpoint to this year, like it's crazy. Like last year um, you had Kyrie taking 18 shots a game and then it was a bunch of people getting about 10, you know, Jalen Brown about 10, Marcus Morris uh, about 11, Horford 10, Tatum 13, Terry Rozier was trying to get his nine. Hayward was getting his nine. It was a lot of shots to go around. There's a lot of mouths to be fed. And now this year you look at them and from a shot standpoint, all of those guys are now getting more. So each of them are getting a little bit more, allowing them to get a little bit more comfortable. Uh, so you have Tatum at 18, Kemba at 18, Jalen Brown 15 shots, Hayward 14 shots before he got hurt, Marcus Smart 10 shots a game. So all these guys who were ready for more now have the ability to do more. And it, it, it kind of I this is a weird way to, to look at things, but sometimes because I play 2K, it's, it's an easy way to, to think about it. When you have a team and you're, you're trying to get 11-man rotation in because you got a bunch of guys – Sometimes you got to take those 10 minutes, uh, 12 minutes off your 10th and 11th guy and do a nine-man rotation and let all those guys get more shots because they're your better players. And now, granted, they may have less better players this year, but the better players they do have are able to do more each and together. And that's what I'm seeing when I see them. I love Kemba's leadership. I love how he plays off the ball. 
think that's important and something Kyrie didn't thrive on. So I love seeing Kemba just like off ball pin downs, running those, I don't know what those screens are called when you kind of like fade to the corner and all those things. Those actions are fantastic to see and something they were definitely missing in Boston last year. So for the Nets, how do you, how do you feel about the Nets now with Kyrie and the effect he's had on that team and maybe similar effects that we saw in the Celtics last year to the Nets role players this year. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where this becomes the, the compare and contrast situation. Like last year, the Nets made their money on D'Angelo Russell getting hot and their role players being fantastic role players, guys hitting threes, guys moving the balls, backdoor cuts, Jared Allen crashing the boards and all, and, and getting on uh, easy dunks on pick and rolls. And, and some of those, sit- yeah, Kuroots on those backdoor cuts was electric last year guy like Jared Dudley off the bench for them hitting threes last year. Um, that stuff is still kind of exists. Their problem really has been defense. And Kyrie, I mean, same as last year, if you look at the dude's numbers, he's freaking good. He can put the ball in the hoop with the best of them, but it's not always leading to positive basketball play. They played the Bulls on uh, Saturday night. Kyrie was out. I actually did not know Karis LeVert was also out. But I bet on the Nets to beat the Bulls last because a little bit of that that Ewing theory, I don't know if it's exactly that, but I just figured this team is going to rally around getting the opportunity for them all to shine, for Spencer Dinwiddie to shine. I heard Ryan Russillo, who I know we're all fans of here, he mentioned how when he watches the Nets this year, he's noticing Dinwiddie specifically kind of takes FU shots sometimes, and that's not a good thing. Uh, Dinwiddie obviously has an ego. He's a proud player. He's a good player. He's a very, very good backup point guard, one of the best in the league, if not the best backup f- in the league. He had to fight really hard to get in the position he's in now. So a- Absolutely. It's... So when Kyrie's in there just chucking shots, and then Dinwiddie just has to hang out in the corner and watch him cook for a while, then Dinwiddie gets the ball. He's like, I got I to gotta do something. I got to get my shots up. I'm getting cold. I'm getting cold here. And that's not the vibe you get, you want. And that's exactly the vibe you got last year with Mar- Marcus Morris, with Terry Rozier, uh, with Tatum and Brown. And I think that's a recipe for maybe not disaster, but definitely not absolute success. Yeah, I'm not really surprised by it either. I think maybe some Nets fans are because they were such like a structured offense last year. And like you said, they're still like, hints of it but really like when you get a player of that caliber who loves to play one-on-one basketball as much as Kyrie does or even one-on-two in some cases and he still wins it at a good uh, you know a decently high rate like I, I don't know how you could be surprised by it necessarily I think the Nets are really just they're just waiting for Kevin Durant I don't I don't know if they're even really trying to do much this year um, the defense is so bad. It's like, I don't know, it seems like a problem, but like, I, I really don't know. I don't team without Kevin Durant because I feel like that's really what they're geared for. Right. Just put a, put, put a couple other shot makers or like role players in that starting lineup behind those two guys who can just cook and carry the offense. Like but KD, Karis LeVert, Kyrie, Jared Allen grabbing boards and probably, I don't know, Joe Harris, yeah. another guy who could just catch and shoot. So like, I feel like they're an incomplete team without Kevin Durant, and they kind of have been playing that way. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 everything that they did last summer was for next year, and that was yeah. just kind of just 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 a matter of fact having to do with KD's injury, obviously. So it's to to your point, Pete. When Dinwiddie takes those shots, it's kind of like it, it's just a way when you have someone who handles the ball as much as Kyrie Irving. 
it, when guys, other guys touch the ball, they're like, all right, I need to shoot now because if I pass it to anyone else, I'm not getting the ball back. I'm not going to get a shot. And that's it, guys get itchy with it. It's you think about like a wide receiver who hasn't gotten the ball in a long time, come back to the huddle, like I'm open, I'm open. Right. That's kind of what the the ancillary guys on the nets are doing. And, and, and that's a discredit for me to call them ancillary guys. I shouldn't say that because they're all really qualified players. Um, it, but it kind of, it's like the nets sort of, the way they play now is kind of reminiscent of like the way the Rockets play mm-hmm, pre mm-hmm. Westbrook or even still no, now with yeah, Westbrook where now. everything is, <laughs> yeah, everything's through Harden. And now then with the Nets, everything's through Kyrie and it's tough to argue against it because he's so effing good and he, he can finish at all levels. Like even around the basket for someone that size in the NBA is pretty unheard of, but it it's tough on the other guys. And you hear Kenny Atkinson sit, Kenny Atkinson say it, or what? Is that wrong? Kenny, uh, first uh, name? Kenny, you're right. I got it right. All right. I always get uh, nervous because the country singer was whatever his name. Um, anyway, he said that they like are not running any anything on offense, and he kind of just called everyone out and said, like, let's just get back to it here. And he kind of is a coach like Brad Stevens, where he did right. He's doing great. He's doing great with like the role players who buy into his system, and now it's been broken by this tremendous talent and he's so great on offense and, and, you know, nothing bad about him, nothing bad you can say about him has to do with his basketball ability. It's all personality and mentality stuff. And that's even harder to overcome because you can't point to it on the court. It's all right. um, intangibles. Yep. I have, I have two things to add here quick before we move on. Cause we have to move on to our next topic here. Um, the first one being, and tell me if this is fair or not. The Nets, to me, are a team that an, uh, an eighth of the way through the season mm-hmm. review is a little too early. It's a little too soon because when you think about a new team, this is as much as the people have returned on this team, it's a very new team with a new identity. So you have to kind of give it time. So they're a team I'm willing to say, you know what, maybe they're five and seven right now, but we have to give them some time. Let's get to uh, a quarter of the way through the season. Let's get to like you know, the 30 game mark. And then we could really judge them. And I think that's fair to say because they do have a new identity. Do you guys agree with that? Yes. Okay. So then my yeah. next, my next thing is, and this is a quick, uh, this is a quick New York topic. Very, very quick here. I just want to say to all the people who were saying how the nets are going to be, you know, more of a New York's team, maybe not the New York team, but at least maybe share the market a little bit. I just want to, I just want to put this out there and see what you guys think. If the Knicks got Kyrie Irving and the Knicks now had this expectation of uh, Kevin Durant coming to save them in the next year, and he's on the team, he's just hurt, and and the Knicks had the Nets' exact situation, playoff team last year, add Kyrie, add KD waiting in the rafters, and they started off 5-7, and seven, I think the Garden would be on fire. I think they'd be they'd – be, they'd yeah, be, The they'd world be freak, would be falling. They'd be freaking out. It would be the national topic – uh, the Knicks are, are blowing it. Is this going to work? Should they blow it up already? Like all these things would be happening already. And I think Brooklyn is now not having that exactly. And I think that's a benefit for them. And I just want to repeat, this is still a Knicks town. Definitely. Duff? No question. So, so your, your stance on not being worried is that you're not, What's you're not worried. You just want to, you just wanted to come out, even though no one asked you and just say, you're not, I'm not worried. Yeah, about what? not worried about the the Nets taking over New York. I'm not. It's not even a worry thing. It's just it's just an observational thing because in in the grand scheme of things, in the NBA landscape, the Nets should be the team, right? In LA, the Lakers and Clippers are both really good, so the Lakers are going to stay on top. Makes perfectly sense. 
uh, from like a, a talking point standpoint. But right now, the Nets should be the talking point. And if the Nets were the Knicks, if they had the Knicks brand and they had Kyrie Irving and they start off five and seven and give up 120 points a game, I think there'd be a lot of back page uh, backlash right now. And the Nets aren't getting any of that. And maybe it's because the Giants and Jets both stink and the Yankees are crying about the Astros cheating and all this stuff. But the Nets, as they do, they're still kind of flying under the radar. And I think that's a win for them right now as they're trying to figure it out. I just think that's also a true statement that's happening. David yeah, Fizdale's is... job would be on the line. Yeah, like... Oh, oh wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. I just want to throw it out there. I, I think it's something to think about. Uh, and the Knicks still stink. But if the ne- if the Knicks didn't blow, <laughs> blow it against the Hornets, you know, the Knicks and Nets would only be one win apart. I'm just saying. All right, let's move on because that's a ridiculous thing to say by me. Anyways, <laughs> the next little situation I want to talk about was uh, sparked by a quote from the NBA's reigning MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Have you heard of, ever heard of him? Giannis said something very interesting that I sent into the group chat. Uh, we had a little discussion about the three of us and uh, – I think we're a little concerned. I had some concern. I will say this, a little pat pat on the back, a little humble brag. I had some concern about this with Giannis before the season, asking about, you know, will his free pending free agency come into play? Will he be a little uneasy if it's not going perfect, if the team's not performing well around him? Where will Giannis's mindset be? Will he be upset? And then he comes out with the quote, Malcolm Brogdon looks great. I wish he was still here. I wish we still had him here. And that's not a direct quote, but that's basically exactly what he said. So, Duff, do you get concerned seeing Giannis wishing for his old teammate, Malcolm Brogdon, to still be in Milwaukee uh, when he's now in Indiana? 100%. I, I, I'm nervous about it if I'm a Bucks fan because what you are backing on, what you're banking on as a, as a Bucks fan and retaining Giannis, what is it, not this summer but next summer? Is it next summer he's a free agent? Yeah. No, no. Um, yeah, next summer. Next summer. Yeah. So two two seasons from now. Um, you want him to have trust and faith in the organization. And if if they make this bad decision where they don't re-sign Brogdon and they instead re-sign uh, Eric Bledsoe too early and then they, they put their faith in the Lopez twins and they try to save money that way. And we see smaller teams do that all the time which the Pacers are one of them actually even though Brogdon's on there they have a they have a, a um they have their own personal cap you know they it's not about the NBA salary cap which it kind of is but they they they're not going to spend over x amount of dollars when you start doing things like that and you're not going all in the way you you're asking Giannis to be all in all the time and worry about his sleep and what he does in the off season and works out and how he performs on the court. Like you expect a hundred percent effort from him. Like he should expect a hundred percent effort from, from the front office and from ownership to, to pony up the cash to, to resign a guy like Brogdon, who's still young. He's in the prime of his career. Uh, and he he's, he's obviously a great piece as we see him on with the Pacers. So I, I'm, I'm nervous if I'm a Bucks fan because you know, last year you had a two-game lead in the conference finals, and then you end up losing four straight. So expectations are finals are bust, and a lot of people were picking the Sixers over them, and we'll get to that later. But it, it's it's people were not looking favorably on their off-season decisions, and, and now Giannis is taking notice after, a, you know, an eighth of the way through the season. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's a pretty big deal. Um, I don't know if I think it affects free agency as much as you guys do, because I do still think 
uh, I think what it does is it it just proves early to everybody that they will be buyers this year and that they're going to be looking to add somebody before the deadline. Uh, who exactly that is right now, I think it's too early to try and speculate. But, um, yeah, I think it's a big loss for them. I mean, he's a 50-40-90 guy. And I know it's like the first thing anybody says about him, but it's it's a pretty impressive stat. And yeah, it's a big. It, that's a big deal, especially what, now with also the just, way people worship stats. His performance, yeah. though, in Indiana thus far has not helped the Bucks' cause because the thing about Brogdon, besides his health, which is obviously a concern, and if the Bucks want to say, "Hey, you know what? We loved Brogdon, but we didn't want to commit because he's injury concerns and all this stuff," you know, I, I can't argue that too much. They know his physicals better than anybody in the league, right? But watching him close games in Indiana and be the guy in Indiana proves my point that last year he was at many times the second best player on the team. And when you basically willingly let your second best player on the team walk for, in theory, it's not a perfect one-to-one switch, but in theory for your fourth best player in Eric Bledsoe, who you signed early when you could have just waited to make him have, have a little bit of a, you know, worry on his back for him to perform better. Yeah. Like play for the contract. Yeah, some incentive, exactly. So when Brogdon goes off in Indiana and is the guy who can close games, get to the rim when he's when he wants to, or at least, you know, better than anyone on the Pacers and, and pretty damn well so far, I think it hurts a little bit more. And what Giannis and the Bucks are right now, to use an analogy, is they are they're in a relationship, right? They're boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you want to say. Uh, and they moved in together. Giannis they moved in, they lived together, but he's still very much testing out the relationship. He's testing out the waters, and I think he's doing a good job at making sure it's downplayed and not going to be uh, out of proportion, a big talking point every single day for a year and a half like LeBron did in Cleveland. But it's something to monitor because this is now an audition for the Bucks. And if the Bucks uh, don't put the cap on the toothpaste and they don't clean the toilet and they leave hair in the drain over the next year or so, Giannis may be saying, hey, this is not a bad relationship, but I think someone's better out there for me. And I think that's a super realistic possibility. Agreed. All fair points. Yep. Uh, let's move on to another Eastern Conference uh, setup here. We have the Heat, who have been playing really well. And in that division, it's going to be pretty much a runaway from them. Like, you're not really worried about the Magic. You're not worried about the Hawks. You're not worried about the the, the Wizards uh, or the Hornets. So it, it's it might seem... Kind of business as usual, but now you got Spolstra with Jimmy Butler, who's I think he's leading the league in steals. He's got three a game, which is because kind of like classic Jimmy Butler. And this is pretty much what we expected from him with an organization like the Heat. Like he was built to be on a team like the Heat. He has that crazy work ethic, the 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 unrelenting um, mentality to always be his best, and 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 the Heat as an organization kind of force their players to have that same that same work ethic that Jimmy Butler was getting upset with people in uh, Minnesota about people in Philadelphia for not working as hard as him like there there's like a body fat limit on the, if you play for the heat like it's it's a serious deal for them and i think with a guy like Pat Riley that's it it's been gelling really nicely uh down in Miami how about you guys i i'm pretty impressed by it um I love to see their young guys go off. I love when Kendrick Nunn, who kind of come out of nowhere, out of the, kind of like puts on a show. And um, I'm forgetting his name right now, but I said it before we started recording. Tyler Hero? Yeah, Tyler Hero. Uh, he's got a great shot, and 
the quote he had not too long ago about how he likes to model his game after Devin Booker um, because he thinks they have a similar game and a similar shot. And I think it's a good comparison for him. I think it's a good player for him to try and emulate because he does seem to have a similar game. He's good at catch and shoot. He's good at shoot off the dribble. And he's specifically good at the little pump fake sidestep three, um, which I think fares well in the NBA because a lot of it is, you know, guys rushing to close out. And if you can hit a shot, they're going to jump. Um, but besides that, Jimmy Butler was hurt for the first couple of games, I believe, and they still just kind of stuck it out and were super solid. Um, Bam Adebayo's been pretty good. And, really good. Really good. Uh, I, I kind of like... I don't know. I, I don't like to take summer league ball too serious, but two years ago I watched a game, a couple of games, and it was it was the Heat playing, and he was just dominating, and he looked like he really did look like a next level athlete on on the court with those guys. So I kind of thought like, you know, he would translate to the NBA, and uh, this year it really seems to be uh, him getting comfortable and playing to the level that maybe he he can, you know. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think I I actually undersold the Heat in in the preseason, like with the over under stuff. I was like, yeah, you know, I think they're gonna be solid. They're a playoff team, hundred percent. Don't get it twisted. They're real solid. Spo is gonna do his thing. Jimmy's gonna do his thing. They're gonna be a playoff team. They're gonna be hard out. All this stuff. I think I undersold them because of their depth and because of their fit, and also because of Kendrick Nunn. Like that's a guy who really just shows out for the Heat organization, a 24-year-old rookie who had some issues in college. He had a transfer and whatnot. He comes in. He's shooting 15 shots a game. He's shooting 47% from the field goal, 38% from three. He's averaging almost 18 points. Like, that is really impressive for a first-year player, and that's the type of culture they have in Miami. They say Heat culture. That became their hashtag in the LeBron uh, Wade era, but it's really continued since then to become a real meaningful thing. And here's a couple stats for you guys. I talked about the mix when it came to the Celtics before, and this is actually very similar to me. It feels very similar to the Celtics because they don't have just one guy. They have their Kemba would be Jimmy Butler, right? The one dude who you want to say, hey, we need a bucket here. Jimmy, go do something. And Jimmy's showing that he is that guy. 18 points a game. Uh, but also the most impressive point for Jimmy Butler is 7.2 assists per game. That is not a, a small number. That is a really, really impressive number for a guy who doesn't play true point guard. I know position basketball nowadays is different, of course. But 18 and 7 assists with 6 rebounds for Jimmy and 2.8 steals is off the charts. But then other than Jimmy Butler, you look through this roster, you see Justice Winslow, 14 points, 8 rebounds, 5 who's assists. Missed, who's, who's missed a bunch of games because of uh, concussion. Yes. And they've still and they haven't skipped a beat. They haven't skipped a beat. And that's what I'm saying. They have the next man up mentality. They have a very share the sugar, spread the wealth mentality on the floor. They have multiple guys averaging over four, four and a half assists. Not only does Justice Winslow and Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic, who is a point guard who's averaging 16 and 5, but Bam Adebayo, the guy who you just mentioned, uh, Frank, he's averaging 14 points, 11 rebounds, and four and a half assists with a steal and a half and a block and a half. That is your center. That's Bam Adebayo being able to take the ball multiple places on the court, high post, top of the key, and know what to do with it. And also, he's sneaky, can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He's athletic as hell. He moves all over the floor. He attacks the boards. And to average four and a half assists from the center position is absolutely incredible. I mean, outside of Nikola Jokic, who are the best passing bigs in the game? We think Marcus All, Joel Embiid is pretty good. Uh, and then after that, there's really not a lot of bigs who you think off the bat, like, yeah, you know, 
that guy's a really good passer. Like you think about Joe Kim Noah. Yeah, <laughs> Joe Kim. <laughs> He's not in the league anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like Mason Plumley, like gets talked about as one of the best best passing bigs in the league because he Davis isn't terrible. Davis is pretty good, but he's also just like a next level superstar. So he almost is in his own conversation. But Bam Adebayo to do that to put up those numbers is off the charts for me. That's incredibly impressive. Uh, I mean, I'm thrilled to see it. Like, to see an athlete like that who knows how to play the game the right way, that he got a gem in BAM, and I think this team is just going to float around that four seed all year, and no one's going to freaking want to play them in the playoffs because they're tough, they play D, and they share the ball and have a closer in Jimmy Butler. So shout-out to the Heat, bro. They figured it out, and they're doing a damn good job. They know how to develop a big man, and the one last point I wanted to make is, like, we all thought they were going to lose uh, Richardson, Josh Richardson, and essentially just replace him with a guy who's as far along in development and does the same exact things, but probably shoots better, honestly. Yeah, he's, a better, Kendrick he's, Nunn. A, he's a better closer. Oh, I thought you talking about Jimmy Butler. <laughs> no, no, Kendrick Nunn. Nunn is basically a better shooter. They, they, pre- they pretty much traded up twice because they, they Josh Richardson for Jimmy Butler, and then they just slid it like, and, and added Nunn. Essentially, yeah, from the G League, yeah, impressive. So, so, in that same division, I want to move on. In that same division, I, I kind of want to, Pete. Let's just take a minute here. Let's just let's we'll take a step back. I want you to put your mic on mute here. Mute. I'm muting. Okay, mute. Go ahead and mute. Frank, this, this is, is it. We're gonna we're gonna monologue. ISO Frank here. We're gonna clear out ISO for Frank and talk about his MVP. Go ahead, Frank. So MVP, most best player. Uh, it's a little fun thing I like to do. I send a clip of Trey Young just doing something, just something that's fun to watch in a basketball game, whether it's hitting, you know, like four threes from five feet behind the arc or, you know, nutmegging a defender on the way to making a layup and getting fouled while doing it. Um, I just feel like Trey Young, he tweeted it, you know, your, your, your apology has to be as loud as your hate was. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to yell my apology as much as I could because it wasn't so much that I was trying to hate on him, but I was just trying to make fun of the Hawks for trading Luka Doncic. Um, But man, he's a heck of a player. He's fun to watch. There surely is maybe some things you can criticize, but like raw ability and, and offensive talent, uh, like in the long run, he's, he might be second to none in terms of ceiling. Like he's so fun to watch. Um, MVP, dude, most best player. That, uh, show him some the, love. <laughs> that comparison with between him and Luca, like every that was the easy thing to do, right? And now at this point, I think you could say that one for one trade is essentially a wash in terms of the the cultural impact that someone like Trey Young has been having in in Atlanta. Like he's just such an electric player to watch. I think he's a reason to buy a ticket if you're a Hawks fan. You know, even if the team isn't, is, isn't great. Like, I think I'm going to go see a Knicks game next month, and I think they're playing the Hawks. And that's the and game you're going to pick? I think that's a game. I'm getting – it's like someone else invited me to a game. They got they got tickets. So mm-hmm. I think that's the game I'm going to. I, I might not remember. They're not a big uh, basketball fan, but they were like, you know, what what's up with the Hawks? And I'm like, you're going to see a really fun dude. He's going to look, like, tiny out there on the court, and you're going to be like, that's the guy. That's the guy you were talking about? But he's going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially – He's a dude who's gonna point. He's gonna have that game circled on his calendar. Like, yep, we're going to New York. We're I'm putting fifty. We're yeah, in the Mecca. I'm going for fifty. Yeah, I'm shooting from the logo. All that, all that nonsense. So, 
that I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy for you, Frank. I'm happy for you. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. This is what else, what else I want to say about the maps was, um, that trade one for one is basically uh, a wash, but now we get to point the finger and blame someone else. So in that in that trade, the Mavs sent along another first round pick. Was it only one? I think it was one, right? Uh, it might be one that didn't happen yet as well. Oh, it might have been two. Okay, so yeah. it with anyway with that other first round pick that they traded in this past draft, uh, the Hawks ended up taking uh, Cam Reddish, who has been not good at no. all. So. And he's yeah. one dude, like everyone sees it, like in the in the rookie polling that went out, like who's going to be rookie of the year, going to be the 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 biggest um, surprise to people. And, and they all voted for Cam Reddish because they all saw him in the workouts and the combines. They saw him in college and they probably grew up playing against him in AAU circuits and stuff like that. And apparently he's a completely different player in those workouts as opposed to being out on the court. Like I, I'm worried about him in the sense that he's going to turn into just one of those all-time practice players where we never actually see it during a game. I mean, he's shooting 25% right now from the field. Did you see his double spin layup air ball? <laughs> that would have been sick, though. That was, like, the best play he's made, and it was an air ball. It was so stupid. <laughs> he had no chance of making that. He had I don't one care really how cool, cool dunk, it dude. was. He had one really cool dunk this year. But, wait, real quick on the Hawks, though. Yeah, that dunk I, was on Tyler Hero. When we're talking about most best player, I I mean I agree with Trey Young being like when you talk about league pass teams, Trey Young's a league pass guy. Like you want to go and find Trey Young just to watch him, and you don't really need to care about the Hawks that much. And I think who's winning part of this right now from a team standpoint is John Collins. So John Collins obviously suspended right now for PEDs or whatever he was doing over there. Uh, he's only played five games. He's been out for a while now. The Hawks have gone into the tank without him. And you look at this roster, we were just talking about the Celtics and the Heat and how balanced they are and how many guys they they have who can score 15 a night, who can put up 20, who can pass the ball. When you look at the Hawks, it's the exact opposite. Trey Young averages 26 points. We're going to take John Collins out of this the um the equation cuz he's not playing right now. They only have one other guy in double digits and it's Jabari Parker who is ultimately inefficient. It is not a very um winning basketball player at this point and I don't know if he ever could be. The rest of this roster is not very good. Kevin Herter it was sort of they just took him as like a flyers or like roster filler. He's not exactly, gonna be exactly. someone they're looking to build around. Right. And but that's that's the problem. So we do want to look at this Hawks team as the bright future Hawks, like the bright future Suns. And what the Hawks are missing is exactly what the Suns were missing in the past two seasons where they didn't have secondary and tertiary players. It's Trey Young versus the world. And uh, another Ryan Russillo point that I've been uh, looking for since he said it, he brought it to my attention in one of his podcasts. Um, there is a little bit of a Kyrie Irving vibe to Trey Young when he's playing and he's getting a little hot and he's getting frisky, which for him is all 48 minutes of the game. He's shooting from the logo. Other guys on the team are like, come on, guy. Like, can we, can we, can we do something here? And yeah. there's something to notice with the Hawks. Uh, in possessions, when Trey Young shoots after dribbling around and not passing the ball, and there's an offensive rebound, there is a sense that the ball does not go back to Trey Young very consistently, and that can tell you that the Hawks players are like, Trey, you're dope. You're actually an awesome passer. We love when you set us up for good shots, but there's no in-between. You're setting us up for shots, and you're taking shots, and we don't get to do much. And that's the Russell Westbrook effect. That's the Kyrie Irving effect. And as fun as Trey Young is, that is something that – as he grows and as this Hawks team needs to get better, is going to become more of a problem topic rather than him just being a super fun player to watch. 
Yeah, he's gotta he's gotta selfishly go for league lead of assists. That's what he has to do. But he's not though. Like he was doing that more last year. He's going for league lead and friggin' three point shots. Point. Yeah, no, I know. I'm saying that's what he has to. If he does that, it'll be better. He right. probably still score. He can like twenty five to thirty. You know. Yeah, so the Hawks are going to be interesting to see how they can compete in the weak Eastern Conference because people thought they had a chance at the playoffs. The John Collins loss obviously hurts, but uh, this team goes with Trey Young, and if he wants the best out of his teammates, he's going to have to do a little more to get them involved. So uh, sorry to end your MVP discussion with a little negativity there, but uh, I thought it was necessary to say when talking about this team. Still still the MVP, D. <laughs> I do like the, right, the but- flow of the term most best player, by the way. <laughs> It's pretty so, good. That's one of the that's, best. That's that's like a that's like a good uh, like like NBA outsiders like hardcore NBA fans like all right everyone's worried about the MVP like but who's the MVP like yeah it's like MVP that's like the ass like, stars like, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah the under the radar most best player yes love it go ahead Jeff. all right let's uh let's finish up with our last Eastern Conference topic here with the Sixers uh I'm gonna ISO here for a minute so I'm turning my mic turning my mic off Pete and I talked about this last week a little bit. Um, how I wasn't feeling too great about the the Sixers, and we were having discussions earlier in the year, like you know, where Pete's telling me he's worried at the end of the game, like who's going to be closing out for the Sixers, and I'm like, you know, it's going to be Embiid, it'll be fine, yada yada yada. So now it's I've kind of been watching uh, the Sixers more through the lens of that discussion, and I'm feeling like Pete. Pete was right about those things, and I'm 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 honestly getting nervous. I'm nervous now. You look at their record; they're eight and five. And... Fuck you. Um, you look at their record; they're eight and five. And you know who else is eight and five? Is the Clippers. But I feel completely differently about eight, like both of those teams. I feel great about the Clippers, and I feel not great about the Sixers. I'm worried about them closing out games. And Bede gets tired. He he gets tired and Tobias Harris disappears. Like Harris had 27 points against the Cavaliers today. Like who cares? Who cares? When they're on the road against the Nuggets and he scores like one or two baskets in the fourth quarter. And one of them is on like a transition alley-oop where he doesn't have to actually like think about anything. Like that makes me nervous. And he's supposed to be a max player. And he, he can't, he can't be disappearing like that when he's making $32 million and, eating up the cap the way he is and that that's up there now i think is that's a top five like untradeable contract right now in my opinion with with i think the last the fifth year he's making like 39 million on it so it's not boy i mean it's that's a tough number man and that and it's not just on him because i really feel like Embiid and simmons they didn't neither one of them really added anything to their games this year like i'm I'm watching and everything looks the same as it did last year the same as it did the year before and beads too heavy. He doesn't. He, he hasn't really. Yeah. He, he's tried point. to expand his game out. He's tried to ex- expand his game out towards the three point line. And he, but but he hasn't improved on anything over the last nope. three years. I feel like Frank. What are you gonna say? Quick point about Embiid is he still does that incredibly slow pump fake from three that works. Pump one, fake and go left. One one of eleven times a game. And I don't understand. I'll let you keep going. I just don't understand how the coach continues to let him do that. Well, wait, can I, can I, jump, can I jump in super quick? Good. So the Tobias Harris conversation is it's a tough one to have because, like, he's by all estimation, he's a good player, right? By statistics, he's a good player. By eye test, he's a good player. But when you really dive deep into who he is, he A, is not a max player, 
and B is not a clutch player. And I remember last year when he was on the Clippers and he was putting up really, really efficient numbers, great shooting numbers, nice scoring totals, all this stuff was great. And I watched the Clippers last year and I was like, yeah, he may be leading the team in scoring. He may be statistically their best player, but he is not their guy and not their second guy. Their guys were Danilo Gallinari and Lou Williams, and it wasn't particularly close. Tobias Harris is not a max player, and that becomes the problem when you pay somebody who deserves 24-25 a very good, healthy, um, impressive contract, and you pay him 34. And I understand when you're a team like the Sixers, like you're going all in, you're going big, you're going home. So it makes sense to kind of take a swing on somebody like Tobias Harris. But to me, he's just not that guy. He's never been that guy, and he'll never be that guy. He's not clutch. He's the, He has that, that vibe where <clears throat> he could be on the floor, and you can forget he's there for like eight minutes at a time. And that is not okay when you make that much money and you're expected to be realistically the number two scorer on this team, right? Because Embiid's going to be the leading scorer. Simmons isn't a score-first guy. Tobias Harris has to be the second punch. He's the perimeter punch. When Embiid is uh, getting hounded in the post, it has to be Tobias. And to me, he just is not that dude. And it, it hurts to say, but is there a trade out there? I don't know because I don't know why, but Tobias Harris gets traded like every single year. And at some point, organizations around the league are going to say, why do we keep trading for this guy? He's solid. We like him. He may work hard. He may do this. He may do that. He doesn't win us games. And that's what it comes it's, down to. It's tough to look at him, and you make a great point here. He's been traded three times, I think, in his career. Or, or did he go to Detroit as a free agent? I don't remember. He'd be, I, he'd, but I he's changed he, either he way. Traded. Either way, he he's traded. changed teams like three times, where he went from the Magic to the Pistons, Pistons to the Clippers, Clippers to the Sixers, and it's like, as as everyone kind of keeps passing this dude around, what what does that mean? Like, what what does that mean for him as? an impact player and as a max player, like to your point, he's a, he's a nice player and, and, and whatnot, but some, t- sometimes guys get paid too much money and then that number scares them right. or, or they feel the pressure of it. And I think it, it reflects in his play. He's shooting 24% from three this year, which is just terrible he, for, for a guy who's a career 36% shooter from that range. So right, I, and I don't know. I'm not ready to hit like the serious, panic button quite yet and but we'll see I'm, I'm getting there i mean it's only 12 games in you know come see me at christmas right um who would you rather have tobias or jimmy right now i want jimmy oh, Butler. come on that's not even close and i was not saying that last year and i feel i'm wrong about it i feel i feel like i'm wrong about it I it's this watching team the, watching it's just, the playoffs, something is just off it's just off balance it's like five degrees off balance watching the playoffs because, last year was all you need to know is that tobias just didn't when did he show up in the playoffs? Did he have, does he have one standout moment for you in the playoffs last year give me one moment where you were like yeah tobias let's go like one, I think one that time. shot his standout moment that, was the shot he missed from the corner against the raptors that would have like in, in a home loss i think they had against them I think also he was the other defender there when Kawhi hit the shot. Nah, he wasn't. It was Ben Simmons. He, okay. Um, but he's <laughs> he's getting paid like a best player, and he really is a third, fourth best player. Like I, yeah. he's not even. And that was kind of what the market value was going to be at the end of last year. Like I kind of resigned myself to that fact, and I felt like they were, you know, Butler didn't want to stay with the Sixers. Sixers didn't want him to stay with them either. So it, it was going to be like, okay, we're just going to pay the money to Harris 
And it was a little bit of commitment bias to me after they made that trade for him. They gave up Shamit and they gave up a couple first rounders. Right. Trying to try. I think that was like, we can't just give that up, not make it to the finals and then let this guy go. We have to, we have to double down on this investment. That's a great point. That's a great point. Like they basically said, we gave all this up. So we have to say, oh yeah, no, we gave this up for a reason because we believe in him. Like, and meanwhile, did they? I don't know. That's a that's a good point, though. That's interesting to look at. I think Al Horford might be their leading three point shooter right now. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Are we uh, also supposed hey, well, to also, talk about Josh the Clippers? Josh, uh, hang on, hang on. I'm not done. Josh Richardson. I'm pretty sure he's shooting like 20 percent from three right now. So these which... numbers will regress to the mean, but the only way they won't 30, regress to the 30%. mean. Okay, I'm sorry. The only way they won't regress to the mean, because typically, you know, Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris are professional three-point shooters. They can do a lot better than what they're doing right now. The only way it won't regress to the mean is if the spacing is just such an issue that they never get their shots. And that that is something to worry about. Not panic button yet, but something to, to monitor for sure. But the spacing brings me back to Ben Simmons, who we see these clips of him shooting threes in the offseason. He shoots the one during the preseason game. And he still you won't know, get and it. He's just, when he's off ball, he's consistently in the dunker spot. He's never in the corner. Like, even even just to space out like he might shoot it or might get a pass to him over there. Like it's, He has it's, the personality of a house cat. It's disappointing. <laughs> he, got, he got way too much attention when he took one three and made it, and he was like, nope. Never he's, doing that again. Worried, I, honestly, sometimes I feel like he's just worried about looking cool. Like, yeah, you he know definitely cool? is worried about looking. Yeah, you know what's not cool? Missing threes. Missing threes is not cool. You know what is cool? Catching alley oops and running fast breaks and stuff like that. And and that's sometimes you know what else I feel is like cool? he's more worried about. You know what else is cool though? Being the best team in the Eastern Conference, like by a long think. shot. You know, one would, you would one would think one would think. All right, let's move All on right. to our, our anti-Sixers here. Like Duff mentioned earlier, a team in the Western Conference who has the same record, uh, who now has Paul George back, who has like, I don't know, like 70 points in two games, something, yep. something ridiculous like that. He's going very, he's looking very good so far, even though he said he doesn't feel right yet. He looks very good. Kawhi, a uh, little load management, a little injury prone. Don't want to talk about the load management conversation because that's an annoying conversation to talk about. So let's talk about the Clippers and Duff. I'll let you pop in first just because you kind of did set the situation up. Um, same record as the Sixers, but you said no worry in Los Angeles. A lot of worry in Philly. What's uh, What are you loving about the Clippers besides everything? Uh, yeah, was, besides everything? I don't know, man. It's pretty much all of it is what I'm loving about them. Uh, I, I, you know, actually, I'll tell you one thing I'm not loving, which is just kind of a, a nitpick. It's, it's just like annoys me. What, like, just start Lou Williams and and Montrez Harrell. Like, why are we doing this? Why are why are they coming off the bench? Like, they play starters minutes. They're always in to close out. Like, it's just kind of funny. I feel like they're just trying to rig the six man in the year award. That's um, exactly what they're trying to do. <laughs> it's, it's like it's hilarious. All right, anyway, but Paul George he comes in his first two games, and I don't think did did Kawhi play in either of those games. I don't think no, so. Right? He didn't. No, he didn't play in either. And uh, what I, did they go one and one in those games? Mm-hmm. But he scored like seventy combined points in a total of like forty three minutes. Yeah, he came out and people are like, "Jesus Christ, man! Like, what's going on?" And he's like, "I have new shoulders. Like, I've I haven't been this healthy in such a long time." And you think about it, it like obviously he had the leg injury, which is, which is like so, it's it's obvious, it's clear, like a traumatic injury. But then his shoulders, like it's hard to tell how bad those are going to be. And you saw it at the end of last season, like the last third of the season, his numbers took a serious dip after being 
in in like a legit MVP candidate. And I I think he's still finishing top three, but like it was like there had to be a third person that wasn't that wasn't um Giannis or Harden. So this year I think I mean Frank, you you texted us like they might be a lock just to just to be in the finals. Now I guess this is the team across the across the hall. The Lakers are gonna have something to say about it. But man, I'm really loving the Clippers and I think they're just I they're they're a team that's just like itching for a twenty game win streak. Like they're about to explode. Yeah, they're a team like Kawhi's teams the last two years. I know that Toronto did good last year when he was out and they had a good record while he was out. This is a te- like truly a team Kawhi's on that's kind of built to withstand Kawhi's load management. Load ma- blah, sorry, load management, and it's not just because they have Paul George. Like beyond that, they have a complete team and they play well together offensively and defensively. Like it's a complete unit. I think it's pretty far and away the best team in the NBA uh, when it comes to, like, big games and, you know, beating the best. I think they're going to be the top of the food chain come Christmas time, say. Uh, pretty sure they've already – they beat the Lakers game one. Um, I'm not sure of all their other big wins, but I know I watched them beat the Hawks by, like, 45 last night. Um, so, you know. Yeah, there's just a problem in general. They have they have three closers, three legitimate closers, which um, some teams, aka the Sixers, we were just talking about, are really begging for for one true closer. So, um, yeah, that that seems going to be a problem. I think their clear advantage over the late depth, um, but that's, that's their a great clear advantage about the closers. Like it could be Kawhi, it could be Paul George, it could be Lou Williams. It's like whoever has the hot hand on any given night, and the, that's just something we saw with the Warriors too, where it, you know sometimes Clay is just on fire, or yep. you know Steph is going to do it, KD is going to do it. Now, I don't think this trio is as good as that trio, but I think it's close. I think it's closer than you might think, especially uh, from from an offensive perspective. So. This is something where as long as they're close in any given game, like one of those, that means one of those three dudes is having a great night and and could take them to the finish line. Yeah. And to go go one step further there, Montrez Harrell kind of slides into the Draymond Green role. He gives some uh, up something up in passing. Obviously, Draymond is a better passer playmaker, but Montrez Harrell is a way better scorer. So when you think about those three guys with Montrez Harrell running through the, the lane, that's a friggin' foursome right there i mean that's a fearsome foursome Montrez harrell is the real deal he can finish with both hands around the rim he slashes real hard on pick and rolls he can also pass pretty well um that team's outrageous and we didn't even say this yet Kawhi and paul george haven't played together yet nope and landry sham is hurt right now uh but i actually want to make one quick point to your point pete uh he low-key is one of the best pick and roll big men in the league Oh yeah. He, oh, it's not so, low key. Him and Lou Williams have the best. They're like the best pick and roll duo in the NBA. That Lou Will like, Montrez Harrell pick and roll is just a joy to watch. It is an absolute joy. It's two guys who definitely have a sense of where the other guy is, even if they're not looking at him. It's impressive. All right, that's good stuff. The Clippers are fun, man. I can't. I mean, lock them. I can't lock wait to in. see a full strength Lakers versus full strength Clippers. I hope we get it in their next bout. Uh, I think that's in. I think it might be in December, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it, it maybe late November. I could check that in a minute. But uh, we have to move on here. Um, <clears throat> quick programming note: we're gonna 
cut out one of our topics. We're getting a little winded, long-winded here. So sorry, Suns fans. Sorry, Duff. Sorry for your Suns to Suns, but we're cutting the Suns discussion here. Sorry, we're used to it. Count us out. Keep counting us out, bro. We'll we'll keep counting you out. The Suns, better than expected. They will be talked about in the future, especially if they keep us out. And we talked about them a little bit in the last episode, Duff, so it's okay. Um, Moving on to our next discussion, there's two guys here. As you can see, we're trying to pair things together in this episode. We're going to continue with that trend, and we're going to talk about two guys, one who's young and starting to figure it out, and one who's old and has a chance to figure it out. Uh, and that is Andrew Wiggins and Carmelo Anthony. Andrew Wiggins seems to be a, having a resurgent year, figuring it out, how to play winning basketball, how to play hard for 40 minutes a game. It's very impressive. The Timberwolves have been a little bit better than expected. Towns doing his thing. Melo uh, was signed with Portland Trailblazers. He will make his uh... debut on Tuesday. I will say I was at the Knicks game when the news broke, and my section was thrilled. We were actually look, a bunch of strangers. My, me, my two friends, and a bunch of strangers were looking up flights to Portland to go see the Knicks play at Portland in a couple months because the tickets for Portland at New York were so damn expensive. It was actually cheaper to get a flight to Portland and then buy tickets at the Trailblazer Stadium. And that's where we no were way. at. I swear to God. That's where we were at. Dude, on those Thursday are night. just the classic like bar plans that we're like, oh, yeah, we're totally going to do that. Yeah. And then no one, like everyone. <laughs> praying that no one's going to text each other the next day a bunch of a bunch of strangers three different groups of friends who've never met before screaming at porzingis for three hours now we're like we're going to portland january 7th book it like it was it was outrageous but nonetheless let's get back to the conversation here we'll start off with andrew wiggins because we've seen that and then we'll maybe take our our shot at predictions for what the mellow blazer situation can look like so Wiggins and the Timberwolves. He's been a little banged up. He's missed a couple games recently, but there has been a real progression out of him. Is this something that's an early season hot streak, or has he grown up and become uh, a player who he thought he could be? I, I think I think it's real, and it's getting better. Like I, I, I'm excited. I think he just had a game where he had like what thirty points and seven assists. Like it's it's not regressing back to his usual meme mean you know uh i'm 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 excited for andrew wiggins i'm excited for the timberwolves like this is pete think about you know five what is it five years ago or something like that when when you were a senior in college and i was a junior and we were talking about you know the timberwolves they're coming up they're on the up like they're they're we're gonna see them eventually they're gonna take that next step blah 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 this kind of might be the beginnings of it. You know, I don't think they're going to make a full leap this year. They might make the playoffs right now. I think they're the eighth seed. I'm excited for Andrew Wiggins. I'm excited mostly for Carl Anthony Towns because you know, he has someone else to play with him. Uh, but, he, you know, Wiggins is averaging three and a half assists right now, which might sound not that good, but it's a full assist better than any other season he's had. And he's shooting 36% from three, which and he's taking six a game, which is something that, you know, people have been dogging him about, including me since he since he came into the league so this is exciting for him it's exciting for wolves fans it's exciting for me personally what do you think frank uh i'm gonna play devil's advocate because i do feel the same way as you but uh for the sake of the pod i'm gonna play devil's advocate i'm gonna say what if this is like the progression of wiggins where instead of getting hot for like a stretch in games he gets hot for a stretch of games and then, you know, he'll regress back to the mean for the other games. So, like, it's slightly better, but it's still a slip forward, but it's still, like, I don't know. Right now, I feel I'm like everybody hopping on the bandwagon is definitely 
buying in a little bit too early. I don't know if I'm like ready to jump in and be like, yes, Wiggins finally has it figured out. But it is nice to see, like you said. So I don't, I don't want to kind of crap on it too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing too fair. is, is I, I feel like Cat has been such like a soft player like mentally and physically kind of like he got bullied around the rim and doesn't rebound or defend well but he's finally kind of i think i said this in the group chat maybe two weeks ago it looks like he finally has a spine like and i think yeah, Pete I mean, said he went after with Embiid. i think who, who did he he was trying to fight someone else too yeah he was i forget he was face to face with somebody the other day yeah. i was i watched that at work but to your um, point he's like stepping up in in terms of intensity yeah, for sure. So that's like a great thing to see. And uh I mean, if you're a Jimmy Butler hater, which you seem to maybe not be, now you're kind of sad that he's not there anymore. Uh but when he was on the way out. And, yeah, when he was on the way out and stuff, but like, you know, maybe this makes you feel a little bit better because he was talking about how much they needed him. Yeah, um, no, well, that I think that's a really a good point to bring up about Jimmy Butler like to go through another girlfriend analogy, like Carlton Towns and Andrew Wiggins by all sense. Good, is everything okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's a, it works here. It works. Hold on, let me finish. Let me finish. So all right, all right. it has nothing to do with me, right? No, no, I'm not crying out for help. Don't come save me, please. Right. Okay, okay, just checking. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm sad. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. So when you have you're in a relationship and you know they're trying to change you in their eyes for the better and you're kind of maybe immature and you're being stubborn you're saying you know i i could still like i'm i'm young i'm going to go out and drink and party and they're trying to say like hey reel it back a little bit like you need to get serious like this is you know real life blah, blah, blah. like that type of stuff when you're 23 and that's what they were 22 23 year olds you know you don't want to hear that you don't want to hear that garbage you're like Oh, yeah, you don't think I try hard, bro? You try too hard. You're a hard-o, bro. Like, that's what I can imagine going through Carlton Towns and Andrew Wiggins' head with Jimmy Butler. It's like Jimmy Butler's the mature one in the relationship saying, yo, y'all got to grow up or I'm leaving you, right? And so he left them, and now a full year later, maybe Towns and Wiggins are starting to realize, like, hey, you know, this this NBA thing, this, this, uh, this thing we call a job, maybe we need to treat it more like a job and become a little more serious, a little more aggressive, a little more... Um, you know, have some bigger balls about the whole situation here because they didn't play with a lot of a lot of heart in the past uh, couple of years. The only time they played with heart is when Jimmy Butler was on the court and he kind of rubbed off on them through osmosis. And, and now he's gone for a whole year, and maybe they're saying, "Shit, yeah, this sucks not being in the playoffs." Like we're just getting crapped on by everybody in the media, everybody on Twitter. My mentions suck. Like this is terrible. I'm trying to play Call of Duty, and some twelve year old is in my my chat talking smack about uh, my rebounding numbers. Like these are the things that when you turn 24 and 25 start to become more real and not everybody becomes a, a, a number one option at 22 like Donovan Mitchell and can be you know that mature and that much of a professional maybe Wiggins and, and Towns just needed that time and needed to see what it was like to not have a leader like Jimmy Butler to say damn this really sucks to be a laughing stock in the NBA let's step this up and get real about it like that's what I'm seeing when I see the, the Timberwolves play nowadays I think it's a great point I think it's a great, it's a great way to put it. Yeah, definitely. There you go. How about that? My girlfriend and I are doing great, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear it. Fantastic. All right. So I think that's it. Oh, no. We got to go to Mellow. Freak. I was about to move on to our next discussion here. Let's talk oh, about. Oh, God. Let's... All right. I'll make mine quick. Go uh, yeah, go so I, our, our friend uh, Alex Christian, a.k.a. 
AC, aka AC Slater. Shout out AC. Uh, he is like a he was the Nets fan growing up, like me, and then he's now basically like a de facto Portland Trailblazers fan because he loves Damian Lillard. I was with him so when he sh- made that decision. By the way, I'm very proud of it. Yeah, <laughs> nice, good work. And he he um oh yeah th- you've uh, you've told me that story. Um anyway he he shoots me a text after the Mellow news and he goes. He goes, uh, so Portland or uh, so so mellow to the, to my Blazers, huh? And I go, I want him out of my life. <laughs> Which is all I texted him back. He goes, he goes, he goes. At least it's not guaranteed. I go, I hope it's a ten day contract. He's like, uh, I think they need it though, and I just didn't respond. But that's such a desperate thing to say. Yeah, it's it's like they need a spark. They need something. I think this is a panic move. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I think Kevin O'Connor has brought up this point a million times that when Melo was in Houston, he was just like a, a 30% uh, three-point shooter off catch-and-shoot threes. So that's something, uh, whereas like for, for his career, he's been like 40%, like a little a little over that, I think, actually. So if he can do that with... but it, And he can rebound and kind of just be tough down low, like they need a bigger presence. Like Whiteside's not not doing great for them. Like, but you know, Dame and CJ are doing their thing. Simon and Simon is doing great. Like it, it's interesting. There's good things to talk about when it comes to Portland, but they, they, like I talk about the Celtics all the time. They just have such a glaring hole at the big man position. So I think they need to have a sit down with Melo and say, if you don't rebound and do the dirty work, like you're, you're out of here. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, and I just can't I can't personally see that happening. Like they don't need another guy to just play three point line to three point line. That's not gonna happen. Yeah, I agree. Uh I kind of actually consider myself a kind of de facto Portland Trailblazers fan this year. There's always like one team that I sort of gravitate to. And when Russell Westbrook was on the Thunder, it was them for a while. But now that, that whole saga's over, uh You've always you've always been a fan of Dame and the Blazers. I've always yeah. Exactly. I've always been a fan. So now that like, you know, it's the normal thing again, I'm so I, I kind of stick with that. It's like my team that I watch. I think I've watched eight of their games so far. And like my biggest criticism is that I don't understand why they won't give Anthony Simon a bigger role. They still seem to be just like easing him into whatever role they want him to be. And he's good. He like I think he's ready for it. Uh, the signing of Melo to me is such a desperate move. To your point, where they're really struggling is down low in the big man. I thought Whiteside signing would help, but he's really an anemic player in general and goes missing for long periods of time on the court. But I think they just really need Nurkic back. Absolutely. And I was just they get that. Nurkic back, and they're the team that we've been talking about for the last you know, two years. Yeah, but in this Western Conference, there's a lot. They're like they're digging themselves into a hole that they're they might not be able to pull themselves out of when Nurkic gets back. Like that was a tough injury, and we've seen it with players like Paul George, Gordon Hayward, guys like that. You know, Kawhi Leonard, where it's taken multiple years to really get themselves right, and they don't have that kind of time with 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 uh, with Nurkic. If if they keep going this way, like they they might play themselves out of the playoffs before he even makes it back, and then. It's tough to to hang your hat on a guy like that who and and when he's really just trying to feel himself out and get right. his body right. After he broke his leg, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, broke the hell out of it. Like, he broke yeah. that. He broke the shit out of his leg. That was tough. <laughs> so I, no, you're I, you're definitely not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. I have uh I have one quick point slash question. So as I make this point, I want you guys to think of it as a question. Uh, my estimation about 
one possibility on why this can go better than Houston. And I'm not saying it's going to go great. I'm just saying better than Houston is as much as I love Mike D'Antoni, his bread and butter as a coach is not like scheming great ideas into offense, making guys play defense. Really what Mike D'Antoni is good at as a head coach is empowering guys to be the best versions of themselves and basically telling them to shoot with confidence all the time, telling them them to make the plays they want to make with confidence all the time. That's what D'Antoni does. He's not this X and O genius that sometimes people try to make him out to be. He And he's not even the same coach he was in Phoenix, which also pisses me off. People try to say, oh, he, he did the same thing. Seven for, seconds or less, bro. Yeah, the, the Rockets are the diabolically opposed to what the Suns used to do. Harden dribbles for 17 seconds or less and then shoots. But anyways... Terry Stotts is a guy who is widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, talked about with out-of-bounds plays, with offensive schemes. His teams always play very hard. Uh, and I think Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum are a little bit more inviting superstars than James Harden. And uh, who is there with Melo and Chris, Houston? Paul. and Chris Paul? Like Way more inviting atmosphere and true leadership atmosphere with Damian Lillard there than Harden and Chris Paul. So I think Stotts and Lillard helped Melo's case there more so than D'Antoni and Harden could have helped Melo's case in the future where Melo just had to be stagnant, sitting in the corner, waiting for that three ball, which is never how he's played, where he's shot all his catch-and-shoot threes off of offensive rebounds, off of swings, off of inside-out game. And in Houston, he was just standing there waiting and waiting and waiting, and that doesn't work for a lot of people. So I think that sense could be better than Houston. Again, not saying great, just better than Houston. Is that reasonable? Maybe. Yeah, I think it's reasonable. I mean, I said it. It was, you know, I don't think Melo played himself off that team. Like, I don't think he's not on the Rockets because he was a scapegoat at parts too last year. Would you say he was partially a scapegoat because they started off so bad? Yes, like I, I think it, he was more a victim of the narrative, and like it, it wasn't necessarily because he wasn't going to be a six man or wasn't going to accept his role or whatever. Like he played badly. Like that, yeah. that's kind of like the bottom line on the on the Rockets. He just wasn't good. He shot bad and got torched on defense. So my next point here, because my second point with why the Trailblazers doing this isn't like a terrible idea or, or as desperate as you guys think. Because I've watched a lot of Trailblazers games this year. They've been my, like, late-night team where, like, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning I'm laying in bed watching basketball like a lunatic. The Trailblazers play on the West Coast. I get to watch their games. It's been awesome. Um, But what's not been awesome is seeing guys like Mario Hazonia playing fourth-quarter crunch time minutes. That is not something you want to see. The Trailblazers don't have Al Farouk Amino anymore. They don't have a Mo Harkless anymore. And not like those guys light the world on fire, but they play a role. Hazonia is just roaming around trying to shoot threes, which he hits sometimes, but overall is not a good player. Kent Bazemore, Who would you rather have, KCP or Hazonia? KCP because he tries hard all the time, at least. That's it, honestly. Hazonia because KCP is the worst player in the league. <laughs> he's, he's been going at people on his burner account. Facts. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that was amazing. And if you haven't seen, just Google that if you haven't uh, haven't seen anything about that. Fair. But I don't hate Kent Bazemore, but he's more of a 3-2, not a 3-4. If, if Melo can just rebound and shoot a little bit, like he's going to have a role. And if Portland just asks him to play 18 minutes a game and he accepts that, that can be better because Houston, even though I'm sure they wanted him to be a bench uh, scorer, second unit leader, whatever guy he, they, that you can think of, they still played him with the starters and they played him a lot of minutes. Portland maybe will be a little smarter about it 
play him the right amount of time in the right position and force him. And just like Towns and Wiggins were humbled and realized a year later that they uh, needed to mature, maybe Melo not getting one phone call in a year and a half told him to say, hey, uh, I better do something better or else I am done and I'm going to be remembered for having a terrible ending to a very good career. This is it. No. This is his. This, this is, is his it. last. Uh, his last chance. This is it's it. Not happening. It might not happen. It might not happen. But I will say this: I am very excited that it is happening. I'll be locked in on Tuesday. Absolutely locked in. All right, sports um, New York I'm podcast. Gonna watch. What you're gonna? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's watching. Any, any basketball fan is watching that game on Tuesday night. Yeah, I'm, 100%, I'm gonna watch. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Let's finish up with our last topic here. And let's hop into this quick MVP discussion and kind of how it's starting. Obviously, it's too early to have a real MVP discussion. But the narrative goes on, and it starts early, and it starts specifically. And if you think that this has no effect on the race, I don't think you're looking at at it properly. Uh, but real quick, Sportsbook New York Podcast, Frank Villani, John Lucas Duffy, Pete Kennedy, thank you all for listening. This is our last topic. Let's hit it off with a bang here and send off our listeners to a great week. So the MVP discussion starts early, and like I said, if, if you don't think it matters now, this narrative thing really does make a difference. You don't just need to have amazing stats and be on a winning team. You need to have something going for you. We saw it with the Westbrook triple-double thing, the Kevin Durant revenge season. We saw it with Steph Curry becoming the most electric player in the league. Uh, really quickly, he rose to the top of the MVP narrative race. Giannis last year was the guy everybody just absolutely adored and loved, and he won it. Harden, when he won it, was kind of like the year, almost a payback for him not winning for us. And now we have a, a Giannis repeat, and then we have a LeBron AD debate. We have young guns like Spicy P, Pascal Siakam, and Luka Doncic putting up crazy numbers. And then I wanted to say this. Is James Harden exempt from all MVP discussions because people are tired of watching his very methodical, slow, but yet deadly methods of winning basketball games? So, Frank, I'll just open up to you. All those things I just said, MVP narrative discussion. What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What are you hearing, thinking about right now? Before Frank goes, I just want to point something out. And then just go. But I I want everyone to listen to the conversation. We're We're legitimately asking this question legitimate question to ask about a player who is averaging 40 points a game okay go ahead frank (laughs) um i don't think he's exempt especially because he probably looking back is last year snubbed um so i think he's got a good chance to win another mvp but after that one yeah it might be fact like all right james harden you've had your fun now let other people get it Um, To that point, though, I actually don't even know. I mean, I guess from a pure numbers perspective, you give it to Harden uh, because he's averaging basically, I think it's like 37. Is is he at like 7 and 7? He's he's averaging 39 and a half, 7 and 7. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty undeniably great. Uh, But to me, the MVP, if we're going in the true, you know, sentiment of the award the most valuable player i think it's got to be Kawhi leonard guy goes to a team and they're you know a finals expectation basically immediately and they also kind of deliver it doesn't matter east coast or sorry east conference or west conference like i feel like we kind of neglected how good he was last year because they're like oh of course he's gonna beat up on the eastern conference the eastern conference sucks but he goes back out west and literally from the jump, first game, no Paul George, just him and 
you know, the guys, the starters who are going to become, you know, glorified better than role players, but sort of role players when the team's fully healthy. And he beats LeBron in AD, although it's their first game. It's also his first game with all those guys. And like, like I said earlier, they just have that big game complex about them or like, you know, against good teams. He shows up in the moment. He's unstoppable. And, and he's fun to watch. That's that's my MVP early in the season. I hope he doesn't load manage his way out of the conversation. Well, I think he already did in the early narrative, to be honest. Like he he's missed uh, four games already this year and two back to back now. And if this is going to happen every twelve games of the season, he misses four. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I I agree. Stuff. It's it's the biggest criticism against him for sure. Um, but. Yeah, he's also, not going to win and, if he only plays like 60 games, which and, is pretty much what's going to happen. But I appreciate what you're saying, Frank, and he has been incredible in fourth quarters. Like, I think he's leading the league in fourth quarter scoring right now. And so he's closing games out. And and, and But to my point I made earlier, like, it, it's been exciting to watch. Yeah, I just wanted to give some love. I mean, I think he, he is in that conversation of player all the time, but I don't think maybe for his – individual seasons he's ever really even in the top you know two he's usually maybe top three but if i was if i had a vote i'd have a hard time not giving it to him if he played if he plays 60 games i have a hard time not giving it to him absolutely i mean he the, the 60 game thing is gonna be tough it's gonna it's gonna knock him out for sure and that's what i'm talking about though with the narrative thing he doesn't even get brought up in this conversation and he could be putting up the best numbers in the world but if he's missing three out of every 12 games or whatever He'll never even enter the narrative to the point where when voting season comes around later in the year, his name just gets lost in the shuffle. Like he doesn't even get thought about. And it's just Giannis and it's just AD and LeBron and whatever. Because if you're not in the narrative for the whole season, like you're not getting in. Like a guy like Jokic, who we thought was a Dark Horse MVP candidate, if he doesn't start putting up some of those absolutely insane, monstrous number games, he will never make his way into the narrative. Right, And he could be one of the most valuable. He could have great analytics. He could have a winning team around him and doing amazing things for the Nuggets, but he won't make it into that narrative. I think that the narrative for Giannis right now, which for me is the leading narrative, is the fact that he has increased his numbers from last year, and he won it last year. But then I, get, I say again, so is James Harden. <laughs> like This dude it's so, is outrageous. I, 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 <laughs> I don't understand how I, – I, I mean, I get it. Like, th- this is not to, like, talk badly about Giannis, who's averaging 30 points and 14 rebounds, like, and who seems to be constantly trying to – you know, we talk I, – I, I talked earlier about Ben Simmons, how he's – he hasn't been expanding his game, whereas Giannis is constantly expanding it, right? So he's always trying new stuff. And he's shooting four three, threes a game now, 32% from three, which is the best he's ever done, uh, except for his rookie season where he's only taking, like, one a game. but. That doesn't really count. Um, I I feel bad for James Harden. Like I like a lot of people get on him. I think it's just a matter of like it not being enjoyable to like watch him. Whereas someone like Giannis is just a complete freak of nature, and we haven't really seen someone that dominant at that size since Shaquille O'Neal. And even though they play completely differently, it's kind of has like the same vibe to it, where they're getting like thirty and fifteen on any given night, which is just insane. Um, and the defensive impact he has, averaging like a steal and a half and a block and a half each game. But James Harden is averaging 30, 39 and a half points, eight assists, uh, five rebounds, 
he's only shooting 33% from three, which is like, which is, which is really low for him. And, and it's going to make a big difference in terms of uh, his overall numbers, given the amount of three point shots he takes 14 a game. So, you know, if he, if that 3% difference between uh, what he's shooting now and his career average is going to be a big difference in his last five games. Uh, this, yeah. Last one, two or five games, he's shooting 44 is 44 points. Uh, seven assists, six and a half rebounds, and two steals, and shooting forty-one percent from three. So, like, if he keeps, like, come on, man, like, Jesus Christ, and, and he, we like, and he takes and hard shots, even, and he takes hard shots. Like, it, it's 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 disappointing that you know, and they've they've won all five of those games, by the way. So, it's it's disappointing to me that he can't get any traction in terms of like narrative. It, it's it's kind of just stupid, like. Like what? What? What are we doing here? Like why? Why are we overthinking this? Whereas he should just be. I'm not saying he should win it hands down, but like the way people just want to hand it back to Giannis is kind of crazy to me. Right. Like have, seriously though, have when you guys watch uh, TV shows and radio shows and debates and all that, has his name ever been brought up about it when it talks about early MVP stuff? It's they been, like begrudgingly mention it. Yeah, everybody begrudgingly mentions it, and it, it. You know who people love to talk about instead of James Harden? Pascal Siakam, and it's like, all right. That's great. He's he's an amazing player. He's definitely stepped his his game up. And honestly, he kind of is reminding me of Kevin Durant more and more. But like, I'm sorry, James Harden is still just a better player than like, Pascal. Not no. even close. I mean, right now, James Harden and Giannis are the two best players in the league when it comes to any sort of statistical standpoint. Anthony Davis, uh, Anthony Davis, LeBron are right behind him, and I think Luca and Dame Lillard are right behind them. I think that's the big six right now, if you're going to go that direction here. Like, Dame Lillard's team isn't very good. The Mavs team is average to solid. And then it, go, it goes AD, LeBron, and then Harden and Giannis. That's the big four for me right now. Like, those guys are on an absolute different level. I think AD and LeBron will eat each other's votes up a little bit, which sucks for them, but, you know, they're on the same team. What are you going to do about it? I think this is Giannis's award to lose, whether that's right or wrong. That's how everybody's talking about it. Everybody's thinking about it. And it's not fair to my guy, James Harden. When One day, one day, guys, we're going to look back at his career. Revisionist history will strike down on all the Twitter peasants who hate to see him go through the legs, through the legs, through the legs ten times before he drains a shot in your favorite player's eye. And we're going to say he should have been a four-time MVP. And he'll have one. And it's just wow. it's, it's frustrating. He does exactly what he does to defenders, to people watching, and people with votes. He lulls them to sleep. sleep. I knew you were going there. <laughs> I don't. Is it just me who finds it still exciting and like impressive? And like he knocks me out of my seat sometimes when he hits some of these shots. Like, and then he, he does. But it watching it, watching it for forty-eight minutes sometimes, like I can't sit here and say that I've never watched a James Harden game where I've been like, you get to the point where you're like, all right, I, I fucking get it. Yeah, I, I get yeah. it. Already. I am. You know? like, I, I find though. myself somewhere in the middle. Like, it, it, there's only so much you can. You know, you think about the things we get excited about when it comes to the Rockets. It's always like, wow, where'd this wow. Daniel House guy come from? Or Gerald Green revives career? Or like Austin Rivers is better than we thought he was? Like, it's never about Harden. Like, people are just so bored of him. It's yeah. really disappointing. And well, honestly, though, I, the same nerves I have about watching Kyrie in the Nets and watching Trey Young in the Hawks, those obviously exist with the Rockets. The only difference is 
the Rockets uh, have been consistently in the conference finals and consistently a top three seed since Harden has become this dude. And Kyrie has never done that. And Trey Young obviously has never done that. Uh, but I get worried with Russell Westbrook and those secondary guys, Clint Capella, Eric Gordon's a little banged up now. What's going to happen with those guys? Do they lose their rhythm? It doesn't seem to exist in Houston quite as much. Maybe they just all accept it and be like, Yo, dude, just just keep going, bro. We'll do what we can. Like, I don't know what the vibe is there, but I don't. I get the same, you know, inkling of a worry of, that I do when I watch the Nets and Hawks with Trey Young and Kyrie. But I don't think it's quite the same effect with Harden because he is just that freaking unstoppable. It's I mean, kind of- no way to beat around the bush. Eric Gordon and Russell Westbrook have been abysmal to start. Yeah, the year. Eric Gordon's been real bad. Yeah. Oh, so both of those guys, I'm pretty sure Russ Westbrook is shooting under 30% from the field to start the year too. So like, let's, let's set. But they're, they're 10 and three. They're 10 and that's three. Exactly. But that's to Pete's point. That's to them just being and, like, how long can they sit back and just be like, James carries to the promised land. And they beat, but, Ka- they beat Kawhi and the, and the Clippers. They beat the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard. They won by seven points. And yeah, then, he put this 47 like on Pat Bev's head, bro. <laughs> yeah. This shit happens, and people will, like, wonder why he's tired in the playoffs and stuff. Like, I'm not trying to excuse his performance in, in those in those certain uh, playoff series, but, like, I get it. I understand. I, I can empathize with his situation where he's just kind of, like, doing all this shit, putting the team on his back for 82 games, and then all of a sudden he has, like, a bad stretch against – like teams that are really locked in and game planning against him. We're like, they're, you know, when, when teams have like these scouting sheets, they always have a list of like, I don't know, like five, 10 things, whatever of, you know, these are the keys to the game on offense or on defense. And I'm sure he's got to, he's got to be like the top five things on the scouting <laughs> report for the Rockets. Like don't let Harden go left. Don't let him, you know, don't go bite right on his, this. Don't let don't him go straight. Like, don't, yeah. don't let him do this, that, whatever. He likes to catch the ball here. He likes to shoot here. You know, like that's that's the whole game plan. It's just him. And guess what? They're ten and three. They've won like seven straight games. Yeah. Don't try to block him with your right hand or your left hand, or don't let him step back. Don't let him step forward either, though. Like that's what it is. I feel like uh, a good comparison. Uh, this is for the baseball and basketball crowd, though. To like your tired point, like um, this is part of what made that game seven performance from Max Scherzer so special is like the whole toll of the season leading up to that game seven. It wasn't necessarily that he, he didn't even pitch his best game. You know, he didn't look like peak Max Scherzer, but like after the toll of a whole long season and like three games before the start, he couldn't put his shirt on and then he comes out and he battles like, right. He found a way. To your point. Yeah. Like James Harden just has to have that moment. Maybe yeah, he needs to find a way when it matters most in the playoffs. hundred percent, Frank. That's a great point. It's a great point. Also one more thing to fans. This is where I get annoyed with fans. I say, you can't have it both ways. Don't come at me, or not me personally, but don't come at the universe and complain about load management and then come at me or the universe and complain about James Harden getting tired for playing 82 games. Like, you cannot have it both ways. They're like... He comes out and grinds. He's probably injured throughout the season. You never hear a peep about it. He just drops 40 on your head. And then in the playoffs, he's a little tired. Maybe he doesn't drop 40 on your head. He drops 36 in a little inefficiency. Rockets lose, and it sucks. He gets crushed. Kawhi Leonard plays 60 games, looks incredible in the playoffs. He gets praised. In November, no one's going to care what you did when it's now friggin' May. All right? Like, that's what it comes down to. Stop complaining about load management. I'm sick of it. He's, he's, this, he's I think as a— Overcorrection against James Harden. 
point. I think as a podcast, we should come out against double standards. I think we'll be the first podcast to officially be against it. That's a good thing. I love that. We're, the NBA outsiders are against double standards. Even though I just made a comparison between the Sixers and the Clippers, Stop. they have the Stop. same record. Stop. <laughs> but Stop. it was different. I test. It's all about I test, folks. That's it. Got to watch it. the games. Double we pick and choose. We pick and choose the double standards. Okay, we are the bar. We are just a double standard. You know, we've been trying to do shorter episodes, guys. We've been it's do- really not a double standard though, because like you see, the, the two, the Clippers' two best players haven't even played together yet. Like, yeah, it's smart. It's a smart point. It's not a double standard. You're good, Duff. You're you're in the clear. We're allowed. We're, we we do own the double standard lane now, so we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Also, we've been trying to do shorter episodes, guys. What happened here? Uh, double standard. That's Frank <laughs> that we own. It's Frank's fault. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yo. Sports Blog New York Podcast. This episode was a blast. Hopefully, everybody out there listening enjoyed as well. We crushed some great NBA topics here. Uh, an hour and a half. A solid hour. Maybe not. I didn't do the beginning part yet, but about that. So thank you all for listening. Uh, Frank, any last words? Uh, be good, folks. Duff? Uh, no. Nah. No last words. I, I'm happy about John Morant and the and the Grizzlies. Uh, I'm worried about the Kings, and I'm excited. Zion looks like he's going to be back soon. So, let's go. Oh, so you did have some last words. Very nice. Very nice. There's some stuff we didn't get to. Uh, everybody, lock in to your TVs Tuesday night for Carmelo Anthony's triumphant return to the National Basketball Association. <laughs> uh, can't wait for him to brick three threes in the first quarter. All right, y'all. This has been the Sports Block New York Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. If you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcast app. And always, just keep listening. Hit us up on Twitter at SportsBlogNYC. My personal at Pete Kennedy with two Ys. Frank is at Frank underscore Villani 21. And Duff is, uh, you know, he's NBA underscore Outsiders for the argument's sake. Anyways, Sports Block New York Podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll be back later with more content as we do. Be good, everybody.